You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Devin Miller. And Devin is an entrepreneur, an IP expert, a patent and trademark attorney, and the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law. He specializes in protecting startups and entrepreneurial companies with IP legal advice, setting them up for success in their business. Devin has worked with the likes of Amazon, Intel, Red Hat, Ford, and also co-founded several successful startups, including a multi-million dollar startup for wearable glucose monitoring. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Welcome to the show, Devin. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. It's awesome that you're here. I, we've never, I don't think we've ever talked about intellectual property, right? As far as, you know, a growth strategy. I mean, we may have had it's some because companies. It's, how could you ever miss it? IP is so exciting. Everybody wants to know about IP, right? Right, right. I mean, I, but we may have referenced it somewhere because I'm mm. sure some of the guests have had significant IP, but we've never talked about it as a growth strategy. We've never talked about it on how to leverage it. And today, just to kind of give everybody a little bit of a sense as to what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about how to leverage IP, aka mm. intellectual property to scale and possibly even exit your business, right? Because there's some advantages that a lot of people don't understand about IP. And that's why I had Devin on the show. So before we dive into that, why don't we talk a little bit about quick backstory on your journey of how you got here. I know you have Miller IP Law, but you've also had some other ventures. How did you get into this whole IP thing? Yeah. So, I mean, that almost takes me all the way back to undergraduate. So I was doing, so I ended up getting four degrees, which my wife always says is three degrees too many, but I started out an undergraduate and I got an electrical engineering degree and a a Mandarin Chinese degree with really the focus for the career on the electrical engineering. And I kind of got towards the end of engineering and say, well, I like engineering, but I don't want to be an engineer in the sense I did, you know, most engineers, they get a small cog and a big wheel. You're on a project for months or years. You got to do a very small piece and a big thing, and you never really get to have a big impact. So I'm saying, you know, that doesn't really excite me. So I'm kind of now weighing my choices as to how to move forward on my career. And so I'm saying, oh, you know, I kind of had on the one side, I love startups, small businesses, kind of be an entrepreneur. The other side, I kind of always had a, a, a bend for law. I always thought law sounded interesting and probably watched a few too many TV shows. But, you know, so I was kind of weighing that. And I said, well, you know, first of all, why do I have to choose? So I ended up going and doing both. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go into law school and look at kind of patents and trademarks because that there kind of incorporates engineering. And I'm also going to go do an MBA, you know, master's in business administration in order to do kind of the entrepreneur science. So I went and did both of those and we can probably dive into it a bit deeper. One of the companies I started that, you know, is still going today and the one that you mentioned on the glucose monitoring 
that one was really the genesis of it, or at least part of it, was I started as a business competition at MBA school. And so that one's now kind of grown and we can dive into it, but keeping the journey going. So I graduated and I, I kind of said, well, I would like to stay in law. I'm going to be an attorney, but I also wanted to do my own startups and businesses. So I've kind of always played both sides of the field where I've really been basically working two jobs, full-time jobs for several years. I've always doing my entrepreneur efforts on the one side, doing the law efforts on the other. And I work for some of the biggest law firms in the country and you know all the companies you mentioned. And then I finally got to a point in the career saying, I'd like to start to mesh these things together, really just do my own thing, be my own captain, do my own boss. And that's when I started Miller IP Law, where I could really focus a law firm, how I wanted to do it, how we want, you know, how I wanted to set it up. And then it also gave me the bandwidth to do or continue to pursue a lot of the startups that I've been doing. Gotcha. So when did you, when was that competition, that MBA entrepreneur business competition? What year was that? Yeah, so that would have been, I guess if our, we started the competition, so it was a two-year, I entered the competition two years. So it was kind of one of those scenes where I was in MBA school. I saw a flyer and it was, hey, you want to join the, or go in and our business competition, come to the meeting and everybody comes there, doesn't know anybody and you all get together, form groups. So that was me. So the first year we, it was in, I think it started in 2011. I formed a group with three other people and we got going on it. And it was, I think the idea was for making gym bags less smelly and it was, it was kind of a fun idea, but didn't really go anywhere. We took second. We got back together the next year and said, hey, you know, let, we don't like our idea from last year. Let's come up with a new idea. We were brainstorming. We had self-packing boxes and other things that never went anywhere. So I remember we were trying to brainstorm and I was walking home. And at that time I was doing, you know, I've been doing my, I did my first marathon, didn't hydrate as well as I should. At the end of the marathon, it was more painful than it needed to be. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if you could do hydration monitoring to make sure you stay hydrated when you're supposed to and don't get dehydrated. And that was kind of the genesis of the idea. And so this was to say, why don't we do it in kind of a watch, something like that for. And this was before Fitbit come out. Fitbit wasn't even created. Apple Watch wasn't a thing. And so I said, that would be awesome. So that was the genesis in 2012, took that in, and then to 2013, took that as an idea, entered it with the people, got to the end of the competition, took second place again, which is always bittersweet. And that's a much longer rant. But then I said, hey, I think there's a real business here. We were all graduating, going and splitting out, going across the country. So I bought out all of my partners and their positions in the company. I'd filed one patent on it, so intellectual property, but I bought that out, the rights to that as well, and then continued to grow that. Took it as a side job along with my legal career, took on or brought on in engineers, brought on investors, and built the company. And then it's continued to go till today. But that started in 2012. So when did the product actually launch? So we product is the current product, which is a wearable. So started out as our hydration monitoring and that one we grew. So it started out 2013. I graduated. We kind of bootstrapped it for a while. About 2015, we brought on our first investor, kind of got to the point that we couldn't push it anymore, bootstrapping it. So we got to the point we were testing it with college or college teams, with the professional sports teams, with universities. And we kind of got to a point where either we needed to go for the next round of investing or we needed to do something to take it to the next level. And so kind of as we were getting ready to go to that next level, that's when we got introduced with another company that was doing or looking to do or leverage a lot of what they're doing for diabetes, for glucose monitoring. And we got married up with that. So now as we've done that, they're actually getting, they've launched and they're really getting ready to launch a lot of the technology in Q1 of next year. So the full out to the public device will be first quarter of next year. Gotcha. Awesome. So 
that's an interesting story of how that all came to play. And I love how you tied the engineering in with law and obviously settled on IP, right? Because it seems to me mm-hmm. like there's definitely a connection there when you start thinking about filing patents and, and all the things. I mean, I've been involved with some clients and even myself where there's been some patents involved and it's very complex, (laughs) not only from a legal perspective, but from an engineering perspective, documenting Mm -hmm. it and going through all that. So, so yeah, so I think you might've found your, your sweet spot there of having business and law together. So interesting. All right. So why don't we do this? You know, so right now your primary gig is Miller IP law, right? So you have a firm Mm -hmm. that helps entrepreneurs and businesses to protect their IP to use it whether for whatever reasons, right? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so, and I always say it was really, we're focused on startups and small businesses is to protect and grow their business. And so part of it, I always look at intellectual property, maybe to level set what intellectual property is, we'll lay that as a foundation, then I'll jump into it a bit. But, you know, intellectual property is basically an umbrella term. It kind of, you know, incorporates a few different things. One is patents. Patents, if you're to think of, that basically goes towards an invention, something that does something, has a functionality. Trademarks are also under intellectual property, and those go towards brands. If you think of a brand, whether it's a logo, name of a company, name of a product, the catchphrase, those are going to be trademarks. Last that typically falls on intellectual property is, is copyrights, and that's creatives. It's a picture, it's a sculpture, it's a book, it's a movie. So if you kind of think of those three things, that's what we really focus on. But then if you're to look and say, you know, what we focus on is helping businesses, startups and small businesses, both protect and grow their business. And so you think, okay, protection's easy. That's what patents, trademarks do. They protect your business. But then we also look at the growth and say, how can you actually leverage this as an asset to grow the business? And that can be everything from using it for an asset to have angel investors, venture capitalists to invention, to invest in your business early on. It can be when you're looking to you know, get acquired or make an exit, that this is an asset that people can actually purchase and you know, invest in. And it gives you that kind of that proprietary something to box the competition out. So really, we look at not just the protection side, but also how you leverage it to grow. Yeah. Okay, good. So there's a lot there. And again, I think we need to pull that apart a little bit, mm. right? I think people have a, now at least have a decent understanding of what IP is, right? The three big mm. components are patents, trademarks, and copyrights, right? Yep. And so- and there are different reasons to have those. And some businesses may have all of those, right? And some of them may only have one or none, right? But ultimately, that's what you define as IP. So I think when I saw this, you know, I think one of the things that really kind of hit home with me was leveraging IP as a, not only a strategy to kind of differentiate yourself, but more so on the capital raise, right? You have a lot of startups who are Mm. looking to raise capital, whether that be angel or later rounds, right? At some point, mm-hmm. if you're going to scale a business, there's a very good chance you're probably going to have to raise some sort of capital. Most mm. companies do. You can't bootstrap scale. You can bootstrap startup like you did, mm. but it's hard to bootstrap scale unless you just have a highly profitable cash flowing business, which isn't usually the case for startups, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, just ask any of the large startups that have scaled, you know, they all had to raise tons of money. And I think that intellectual property plays a really important role. Can we kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit on how that has worked, whether that be in your own personal situation or with clients and why the IP has made, why you believe the IP has made such a big difference in allowing them to raise capital for scale? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a rabbit hole. I can go go as deep as you want to go because it's a deep rabbit hole. But no, so, you know, I'll take a couple examples and one is my own business. So the one that I mentioned, and we've, I've done a few different startups. We'll kind of just keep along the one that was in the wearables. So the first patent I ever wrote, start to finish, 
I was in law school and it was for that company. It was for the wearable hydration monitor and it incorporated a lot of business. We, you know, I continue to, as we were bootstrapping it and I happened to, you know, as a patent attorney, so I could or draft the, the patents, you know, much lower cost because I was doing it at cost for myself, doing it nights, evenings, weekends type of a thing. We built a portfolio of about 30 different patents at the time. And by the time we got to the end of that, we were looking to do a merger with the other company. The asset that we were really looking to leverage or that we got the licensing deal that we ended up consolidating to make and now what is an eight-figure company headed towards a nine-figure company was largely based on the intellectual property. And the reason is, is, you know, so a lot of, when we got into it, we did a lot of technology development. We did a lot of R&D and testing. But how do you capture that? How do you, how is that investable? How is that an asset of the company? Because it's mostly in your head, right? It's mostly things that you've learned, things that you've figured out doesn't work, things that you've done do work. But how do you sell that? How do you monetize that? Well, that's where we started to capture with a lot of the intellectual property as far as we actually did that as an asset. So then when we were coming to say, either do we raise venture and the first one we raised, you know, seven figures on for the first round before we did the merger, that was based largely on the patents, on the intellectual property. The second round, again, when we looked to, to merge with the other company, the biggest asset was, again, that intellectual property because they're saying it gives you something proprietary. If you're an investor, whether it's Angel, your venture, or anybody else, you're saying, I need to, they always want to de-risk their downside, right? They want to know, hey, if, if things come to worst, how do I protect my downside? What am I investing in? What's proprietary? And how can I make sure to cover the exit? And that's what they're saying. A lot of times it's that intellectual property because if everything else goes away, if sales go away, they still have an asset that they can shop around, they can sell, they can license, and they can otherwise do something with. So that's kind of maybe on my on the personal thing. And then a lot of our clients, the same thing. When we, when we look at the average value across all of our clients, it's about 189 million of what all of the IP that all of the clients own. And so you think, okay, that's a lot of money for a startup or a small business. And so you're saying, you know, what are, that drives in a lot of value. Then now you can go out and you can say, when somebody, when an investor comes in, they say, what are, why should I invest in you? What's proprietary? You can say, well, we got this is covered. We can box people out. Here's the value of it. And here's why you should invest in us rather than just walking in and saying, we have a great idea and you should invest in us because we're going to make a lot of money, but we can't tell you why type of a thing. Right. So I think that really makes sense what you said about the investors. And, and could you expand a little bit on that, particularly in this narrow focal point, which is a patent, right? Mm -hmm. So what does that actually give you in regards to protection? Because I know that mm -hmm you as an individual or a business can own a patent on a process or on mm -hmm. some specific idea. And how is that, if you're not going to run a business, how can you monetize that patent on the back end? Like you said, investors mm -hmm. want to protect their downside. Is it, because I've heard, I, I have a friend who had a patent who he eventually sold, but he was able to enforce that patent because it was apparently mm -hmm. being, being used by other businesses, but it was an already a patented process. So they ended up somehow either licensing it or buying it or paying some sort of a settlement. I don't know, something along those lines. Could you expand a little bit on that? Because I'm a, I know just enough to be dangerous, as you can tell. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, there's a few things in there. So I'll give you the legal definition of a patent, then I'll tell you what that really means. So a patent is the ability to stop others from using, manufacturing, producing, otherwise uh, creating your, your what is covered in your patent application. Now, what does that really mean for anybody that's not an attorney? It basically means the government grants you 20 years where you can stop others from making whatever's covered in your patent application. So it boxes people out. So it basically is kind of an exchange with the government. They say, in exchange for you or 
telling the public all the details of your invention, how it works, how it goes together, how it functions. We're going to give you basically a monopoly or ability to box people out for a period of 20 years. Afterwards, it's open to the public. So it's kind of, hey, now people can build on what you're doing. They can understand how you're doing it and grow it. And it helps the economy and expands the product. And it also, but at the same time, it helps you to recoup what you've invested in it. So that's kind of, it gives you that ability to have a monopoly or to box people out for a period of time. So if somebody wants to use your process, right, Mm. say they, as a part of their manufacturing or a part of whatever they're doing, right, they have to then come and license that from you, that patent or that process from you. They pay some Mm. sort of a licensing fee. Yeah. So it can be the licensing, it can be a royalty, or they may just acquire you, right? In the sense that Sometimes if you're a startup, you know, and if it's a Apple or a Samsung or a big company that's just saying, hey, this is a great startup. It folds really well into it. We're just going to go buy you and acquire you. But assuming that they don't acquire you or you don't want to sell, then yeah, then you either enter into a licensing agreement or some type of a royalty agreement. Or you sometimes, the other way that it sometimes will work is let's say you have a big war chest of patents. Another company has a big war chest of patents, but you guys are kind of in a mutual standstill. You'd like to use their technology. They'd like to use your technology. So you'll make a cross-licensing agreement to say, hey, in exchange for you, us using your technology, you can use our technology. We won't sue each other. and allows us to both grow in our perspective field. So there's a, there are several ways that it allows you to kind of grow your business, either by getting a license, getting a royalty, get acquired, or have access and cross-license. Gotcha. Okay. Could you go into details on maybe a, whatever you can disclose about you know, maybe one of your clients and how a patent was significant? in allowing them to maybe raise capital. Yeah. And I'll be careful because I can't yeah, get into I mean, whatever the, the, you too got, much. Yeah, I don't want to get myself say. disbarred because that's probably not where I want to take my career. But, you know, so one of them, you know, I've, I'll give you the first, the horror story, and then I'll give you the good story. So the, the worst thing that comes in is we get clients that come and say, hey, I went and did a venture, ca- or venture capital pitch or an angel investor, and you know, we're trying to raise money or pre-seed or we're in a series A or whatever they're at. And we got into the, the meeting and they said, no, what are you guys doing with patents and intellectual property? And they, it's kind of crickets, right? It's kind of, well, we're thinking about it or we don't really know. And that can be the, one of the biggest deal killers for two reasons. One is because then they're saying, hey, you don't even have a plan or a strategy in place to, in order to make sure what you are doing and what's proprietary about you and what's worthwhile about your business. How are you going to protect that? And if you don't even know how you're going to do that, we don't want to invest in you because it kind of gives a lack of confidence. So that's kind of one of the things that you don't want to go into that meeting. You at least need to have a strategy or a plan in place so that when you go into that meeting, when they ask that question, which they typically will, you can have a good answer. Hey, we are not doing it today, but this is what we have in place. X, Y, and Z, this is what we're pursuing. Now, on the other hand, I've had clients and you know, one of the clients, they just got done doing, I think it was a 30 or $40 million raise with theirs. And a lot of it was, and I got to do part of the due diligence and the less fun and less exciting part of the attorneys going back and forth and arguing on value and showing everything and diving into the books. But a lot of when they got into it, one of the things that came up as they were doing that bigger raise with getting a new money in was where's their IP portfolio? Where are their patents? Do they have them locked down? Do they have ownership? Do they make sure that all of their employees have assigned it over so you don't have some employee out there that still has ownership to it and can mess up the deal? And that's where I've also seen a lot of deals go bad as to where you'll have, you don't have it locked down. You'd use an independent contractor. You had an employee that you never had them assign their rights. Or you didn't have it in their employment agreement. And now you've got this stray employee that's left the company five years ago that's now coming back and saying, unless they sign this, we're not going to close the deal. So 
there's a lot of ways to leverage it and a lot of good stories and a lot of bad stories. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. So I mean, I think that's a perfect example. I think people need to understand that this can definitely be an important component to raising money. Now, not, now you don't necessarily have to have IP to mm. raise money, but you just heard some great examples of how it can definitely differentiate you because it, at least from a perception standpoint, it will lessen the potential risk of investors mm. putting capital in the business. All right. So let's shift real quick over to the exit side, right? Because mm. we all start up and we bootstrap and then we raise money and we start getting our customers and then we start to scale. And at some point, you know, either you're going to, you may want to sell it or there may be interest in selling it. Other mm. people may want to buy it. And that's always nice. You know, you've, you, it sounds like you may have had some exits. I've had a couple of exits in my career. I've been very fortunate and blessed to do that. So mm. how does the whole IP thing fall into the exit side? How is that? How do you leverage that? I mean, I'm sure there's some similarities, but talk to me a little bit about your experience there. Yeah. So, I mean, when you go to do an exit, you know, it's usually because somebody has come, I guess there's two reasons for an exit. The good reason, the bad reason. The bad reason is things are going down and you're just trying to salvage what you can and it's kind of a fire sale, right? And then if it's a fire sale, then they're looking and saying, what is the assets of the company? Who's willing to buy them? One of the ones when I was going through law school, one of my professors worked for Kodak, right? And everybody used to know Kodak. They were the film company. They're now bankrupt. And I think I can't, I'd have to fault. They may have been pulled out from bankruptcy, but it was interesting. We're sitting in class and he was sharing, you know, he was an IP professor and talking talking about patents and trademarks. And one of the things that they had to pick apart is, is Kodak was going down in, a, in the fire sale type of a thing was selling off all their patents to all the other people that were doing well in the cameras, whether that's an Apple or whether that's you know a Panasonic or whoever's making the camera. So one of the reasons you make an exit for the bad reason is things are going down in a ball of flames, but then you use that intellectual property as a way to at least appease creditors or to get some of the make some people whole. Now, the better exit is when you're growing and you're just getting bigger, right? And then somebody comes in and just makes you kind of that, you know, offer that you can't refuse type of a thing. You're saying, hey, this is just too much money to turn down. And I, I just, you know, I, I, I want to make an exit. Then what they're going to do is they're going to go through and in excruciating detail, they'll do due diligence and they're going to pick your company apart, which is never a fun experience in the, in the moment. It's exciting that you got a big offer, but then you have to go and show, okay, what are our sales? What is our annual recurring revenue? What are our, what products do we have? What is our pipeline? And then what do we have that protects us and makes it proprietary? Because they're going to want to know whatever makes your company proprietary. And it may be the brand. If you think of some of the biggest brands, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Starbucks, M&Ms, all of those are brand companies. And yet that's IP too, right? They have a trademark that protects their brand and they build a huge company around brand. So you may say, this is part of what we're, when you're making the exit, this is our brand and this is why it's worth so much. Disney. Or you may say, Disney, exactly. Disney, you could do all of those. And they have, you think about Disney and all of their trademarks, all of their assets, you have Marvel, you have all of the different things they do. And it's a huge part of their business. Or you say on the technology side, you say, let's say whether you're an Uber or you're an Apple with your iPhones or anything else, and you have all this thing, when they look to acquire you, they're going to go through and say, now, what is, what do you have in the pipeline? What's proprietary about your business? And how do you protect it? How do we make sure that somebody that doesn't just come along, copy your idea and then we, we lose all of our investment. We lose all the value of the company. And that's where the patents come in. So they're going to look and say, what are the things worth? What is the value? And then they'll either increase it. If you have a good IP portfolio, you're, you're, 
company value can go up exponentially, or they're going to say, hey, you really just don't have much here. You've built a good customer base. You have a good return, recurring revenue, and they'll, they'll value off that. So it can have a big difference in evaluation between is it just a recurring revenue? Do you have a good customer base? Or do you have something that's proprietary that we can now really take and go to the next level? Gotcha. Makes total sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, I think as an investor looking to buy a business, one of the things you buy obviously is the the revenue and the profit and the mm. products and the patents, but you're also buying the talent, right? And so, mm. so if you have the talent inside your organization that was able to actually, number one, probably come up with the idea, right? Which mm. is in itself, you know, critically important creativity, innovation. Second of mm. all, was able to document and actually go through that process and actually see it through to a successful patent. Because not everybody that files a patent gets a patent, right? Right. No, right? exactly. And then you obviously have an attorney, a law firm like Miller IP that works with these companies. So you've got an actual process mm -hmm. for developing ongoing IP, right? And yeah. so I think that's a, I think that's an important asset. No, and that, that is one of the things, having gone through a ton of different due diligence evaluations, both on my own companies as well as a lot of others, they're not, most of the time, they're not just looking for what do you have today, but what's in your pipeline? What do you have projected out in the next two or three or five years? Where are you taking the company? Because a lot of times what you want to sell on, you know, with any company is you're selling on the future, right? This is the opportunity. This is where we're going. And one of the things that you do a lot of with patents is you're not just trying to do what you were doing today, but you're trying to look out when you file a patent and you see this with Apple all the time, you'll see all these, you know, people in the news did you see Apple or filed an invention? This is where we think they're going. This is where the future of Apple's headed. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not, but it's because Apple's filing five or five years out or more on the technology that they're seeing coming down the pipeline. And that's what creates a value for any business. It's, it's a, you're selling people on the future on what the value is, where this can go, and then you need to protect it. So as you take or go down that pipeline, as you go into the future, you already have that protected. Love it, perfect. Well, listen, I think, you know, we could probably go on for a long time talking about all the different forms of IP and all the different deals that you've done. But for today, let's do this. I'm going to do, is there anything else you want to add specifically about using IP for scaling? I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap it up. The one piece of advice I'd give to businesses is even I, startups always have more things to spend money on than they have money to spend. It's inevitable. You never have enough money as a startup. So if you can't do patents and trademarks and intellectual property, at least get and do an, as get a, a roadmap and a strategy in place. If I could take one takeaway, that is your biggest thing is have that strategy, that roadmap in place. So even if you don't jump on it today, you know what you're doing and when you're going to do it so that you can incorporate that into your business model. So that I just give that as one takeaway before we go to rapid fire. Love it. All right. Two rapid fire questions and we'll wrap it up for today. What's your favorite growth tool app? SaaS product, some sort of software that you use mm. to help grow, whether it be Miller IP law or one of your other businesses? What's something that you rely on, you know, as a tool? Yeah. So one of the tools, and I'll go with Miller IP law that we use a ton is a CRM HubSpot. And it's, and the reason is, is so law firms are horrible about customer service. They're horrible about, you know, average in the industry. If you reach out to an attorney, it's three to five days before you hear back. I mean, you can call them on Monday, email them on Monday. You're lucky to hear back by Friday, which is horrible. And so I always looked at that and says, you know, we do all this work to create clients to try and get somebody through the door and then we never take care of them. And so when I set up the law firm, I set it up, well, we're going to do a CRM. We're going to do HubSpot, which is not the cheapest on the market, but do the tools. And it allows us to do automation, to follow up with clients, to do emails, to do 
you know, to make sure they're taken care of along the whole process. And so that's a tool that we use on a regular basis that really has made a big difference because we're now able to make sure that when we get people walking through the door or needing our services, are able to make sure that they're taken care of. Love it. And what would be one book that you would recommend, maybe something that you've read or you think might help, you know, the audience along with their journey? Oh, there's so many books. Oh, can I give you two books? Uh, sure. <laughs> all right. I know you only asked for one, but I, yeah, it's hard right. to no choose worries. just one book. So I'll give you one that I like on the business side and one that I like on the biography side. So business side, I love Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership. Talks about leadership and entrepreneurship and the mix between the two. The second one I always love is That Will Never Work. And it's really the startup story of Netflix. And it's by Mark Randolph. Everybody knows Steve Hastings. He's kind of the, the face of uh, Netflix, but it really started out with Mark Randolph and him driving back and forth as they were exiting another company with Steve Hastings in the car and him pitching ideas and different ideas. And one of the ideas he came up with and pitched him was, hey, why don't we do DVD or videos? And he just, you know, videos because it was VHSs and DVDs at the time that we can mail in the, you know, mail back and forth to people. And, you know, famous line from Steve Hastings is that will never work. And then obviously Netflix has now grown to what it is. So I love both of those books. So I don't know if I can choose between that. That's why I give you both of them. Love it. Both good recommendations. And listen, my friend, I really appreciate you being here. Let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about Miller IP Law, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Awesome. I'll give you three ways to reach out to me, depending on how, what you want to reach out with. So the easiest one, if you have questions, if you need any assistance, we do free strategy meetings where you sit down, we walk through what you're doing. We don't charge anything. Easiest way to connect up with us on that is to go to freestrategymeeting.com. You can grab some time on my calendar. We'll sit down. We'll have that conversation. Usually now it's via Zoom because of, of COVID and whatnot, but you're welcome to come in the office or do it via Zoom. That's easy. Freestrategymeeting.com. Second one, if you just want to find out about the law firm, more about us, what we do, what our prices are, what our structure is, go to law, lawwithmiller.com and you can find out more. The last one, if you just want to reach out to me, find out more about my businesses, be my next best friend, or do anything or all of the above, go to meetdevin.com and that just links to my calendar as well. So depending on which way you want to reach out to me, freestrategymeeting.com, lawwithmiller.com or meetdevin.com. Love it. I make sure I'll put all those links in the show notes. Really appreciate you being here. Have an awesome day. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. I appreciate you coming on. That was a blast. Thank you. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.